Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to the next episode of Triple Feature, a movie selection and movie choice podcast from Kaiju FM. If you listened to our last episode, you know that what I do is get my friends on here and we get to talk about films, but all within the structure of them planning their ideal triple feature. It can be on a theme, it can be biographical, it can be just an actor or director that they, they like and they want to talk more about. And this week I have got the very excellent Merely Matt on the show. Hello, Matt. Hello, thanks for having me. So, Matt, you are a podcaster a writer and one of my favourite DMs in the podcast RPG World with your show, Milly Roleplayers. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and sort of how you got into it, really? Sure thing. And thank you very much for for saying it's a a favourite. So we we are a podcast where theatrical people play role-playing games. So we are an actual play role-playing game show, which means we play role-playing games on the podcast and you get to listen to that the stories that we come up with pretty much everybody who plays on the podcast is a theater person most people are members or associates of blackshaw theater company which is a south london theater kind of collective and we play mostly very story driven quite rules light games like running on the apocalypse engine which if anybody's listened to the back end of the first big story of the adventure zone which obviously is one of the bigger actual play podcasts out there that is that is where i first became aware of the apocalypse engine system and so that was kind of the beginning of thinking about maybe doing something ourselves using that the thing i like about your show of least you do sort of seasons where you do like a Ian blighton style adventure you've done a, a world west you're currently deep in sort of space opera what was the impetus behind sort of rather than like the adventure zone style of having a long running arc, having these short bursts of story? I wanted everybody who might be interested in listening to have to be able to kind of jump in wherever they wanted and not feel like they needed to once we get a kind of a decent backlog for people not to feel like they have to go back and listen to a hundred episodes in order to keep mm-hmm. up with with where we are. So I wanted everybody to be able to just, you know, choose the genre that they that they like the sound of and kind of jump or jump in at the beginning of the current season and not feel like they need to listen to everything all the way from the beginning. So it was really about kind of that access thing. I don't know what you you're a podcaster, you're a, a listener of podcasts as I am. I'm sure you've had that thing of going, oh, I really should listen to this podcast that everybody's telling me to listen to, but oh no, it's got 500 episodes and I just don't know that I've can find the time even on double speed yes I, i'm currently 79 episodes behind on the adventure zone because of this reason like, yeah. i've 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 decided to you know despite it being like a huge one in in the genre that i'm a fan of i never got on board with it but i am on board now but it's catching up you know yeah i, I have the slight advantage that critical role which is a really big one i've been on board with it since the start but i can't imagine trying to jump onto critical role even season two yeah i mean just looking at single episodes of that and seeing that they're five hours long each yeah. is intimidating and then you see how many of them there are i've got i'm married i've got a child i've got a job the, 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 the days when i could spend you know all that time catching up on things is, is gone yeah so yeah I, I managed to get by keeping up to date currently as rolling forwards but if i slip behind on that critical role I'm, I'm never catching up on that. But no, I, I think that's, I mean, I think that kind of works. And I like that in a show where you can jump on. There's a, a D&D show I love called D&D for Nerds from Sands Pants Australia. And they do the same thing. Like, there are ongoing story arcs in this world. 
but it's very much you jump in at a point and they are restarting every couple of months in a different in a different different story and that, that, that's that's a strength to it yeah and there's a balance you've got to strike because i i really want it to be rewarding for people who do listen to everything as well like the really loyal listeners mm. who will start at the beginning and listen to absolutely everything i want there to be layers that they will be able to get out of it as well who, who's errol is what I'm <laughs> who's errol oh errol's just this guy you know he's just he's just trying to do his best uh it doesn't always work out the way he wants but you know he's just a he's just a nice kid yes yeah well, i don't know i don't know why you are i don't know why you would uh single him out really out of all the great characters on the show i'm sure i'm sure you don't know why but i have following on twitter this had i mean as you've gone through the show you started to get more into the game design sort of things yeah so i started off using um there is a there is a pdf that you can find uh, for free at buriedwithoutceremony.com which is almost like a like a 10 page guide to coming up with a an apocalypse engine game in whatever genre you fancy so for the first few seasons i just used that and it's effectively just a reskinning job you kind of change the names of the stats and you uh change some of the kind of the gm agendas and principles and things and then you're ready to go and then as we kept going i started to get to the point where there were specific things that i wanted to to do with the game uh on Mm -hmm, the air mm -hmm. um and thinking a a lot of the time about how to make because a lot of role-playing games aren't really written to play for an audience so trying to make sure that the pace keeps going and make sure that there is enough tension right at the beginning to to keep things moving. So I started sort of hacking more and more of my own rules into things and departing more and more from the from the original system. So yeah, I've I'm sort of accidentally a, a game designer because I became a podcaster. A <laughs> <laughs> long-winded route to it. Yeah, very. So onto onto the the matter of the hour. Your movies. So, as I said at the start, guys, the idea of the show is that the guests can plan a triple feature. So, it could be art house, it could be driving, it could be whatever they want on a theme. Sometimes biographical, sometimes a deep dive into one particular creative, or as we got this week, around the theme or an idea. So, Matt, talk about your theme. What, what, what are we watching and why? So, the theme is, I think I'm going to call it. Uh, monstrous pressure cookers okay so these are all going to be movies that are very contained in terms of the environment that they're set in and where there is some kind of threat either in that setting or keeping the characters in in that setting and threatening from threatening them from the outside in order to like ramp up the tension you've got people in a very people in a tense situation in a very small space uh, everything gets cramped everything gets claustrophobic tensions get high emotions get high and there is also something monstrous coming to get you as well it's a, a recipe for a, a good tense time yeah that kind of feeling that the the environment is much an antagonist's the antagonists i suppose yeah yeah that it's you're not just trying to escape the threat you're trying to escape the place as well and that the the place itself can be part of the threat is this a genre that you're particularly a fan of as i'm sure everybody who who comes on triple feature is going to i did agonize about what the theme should be and what movies i wanted to talk about and it, it is a genre that i i enjoy or a subgenre that i enjoy partly i think because i have a theater mm, background mm. and one 
another theme running through all of these films and that that you can kind of see in any film that's very contained in where it's set is that you you could imagine it working on a stage as well that some sometimes they can feel like uh maybe they could work in the theater i i'm used to from that background thinking of stories that can be told in a single location yes because often especially on the um, the lower budget fringe end of the theatre, which is where everybody starts out, uh, often that is all you have to work with. You can use one set, mm. and that's about it. I am a fan of the uh, the genre myself. It's that kind of feeling of just the cranking of attention through the entire thing. I think really, really adds to something with these kind of contained stories. So, what's your your first movie for for our for our evening? Okay, so we're going to kick off with uh, Green Room by Jeremy Saulnier. Okay, I'm with the Ain't Rights from Washington, D.C. You guys are hard to find. Why no social media presence? Music is shared live. It's time and aggression. You gotta be there. Sorry, guys. Gotta clear up. Follow me. And then it's over. Holy shit. One of my favorite films that year ah fantastic uh yeah i really enjoyed it as well and it's one of those ones that i kind of went to the cinema to see because i wanted to go and it was on Mm -hmm. i didn't really know anything about it uh, and was absolutely blown away by how good it is so it's uh it's a movie about a punk band uh in the states who are down on their luck and very broke and because they're and they're so down on their luck that they are forced to accept a gig playing at an out of the way little clubhouse in the woods to a bunch of neo-nazi skinheads and being punks of course they make themselves very unwelcome right from the beginning by playing uh, nazi punks fuck off am i allowed to swear on this podcast absolutely <laughs> too late now <laughs> <laughs> it's essential to the the plot of the movie <laughs> absolutely yeah so they make themselves very unwelcome among that that crowd and then to top it off um they see something that they really shouldn't have that 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 community of uh nazi skinheads really didn't wish they hadn't seen mm-hmm. um and find themselves besieged in the venue green room uh and that is the pressure cooker for this movie is yes. the green room and a little bit of the the larger venue outside um but the the it's a it's kind of an interesting um structure to the movie in that they uh the the members of the band are sort of holed up in the green room and make regular sallies out mm. and like push their way into the venue trying to escape several times and almost always uh find themselves pushed back you know, having lost things on the way back to that green room again. They sort of, it's kind of almost like an almost like an assault movie, like, like you know, a defense of a realm kind of movie. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same as you. I saw this back the year it came out, and like you, I mean, I'm a big horror fan, and I went into this not expecting loads from it. You know, it, it was another you know, kids in peril kind of horror movie. But you're right, it is. It's so well done, and it's so pressure cooker they, they just rang that tension up and it's so almost like darkly tragic that all these Absolutely. attempts they make to leave and do things they don't all fail but they all kind of end up very towards the start 
with them just losing people and losing things. And it's it's so like gut wrenching in times. Yeah, it's it's almost got that um sort of classic supernatural horror cabin in the woods feel mm. of everybody being picked off one by one. But without the feeling that you get sometimes in those movies of the main characters being very passive and just kind of being picked off by the threat one by one. Like they are always being proactive and they're on the attack and trying to get out, mm. but just being overwhelmed by how um, pragmatic and organized and cold the uh, the their antagonists are. I would want to single out uh, Patrick Stewart here because his he's to me will always be, be Picard. He'll always be Picard in everything he ever does, <laughs> and in this, not in this, in this is very much not. He he's brilliant in this kind of psychotic, but not in like an angry lashing out way. He's cold, he's calculating. He's clearly experienced and capable, but still doing monstrous things and capable of appearing incredibly reasonable mm. while doing absolutely awful things and that that's kind of what makes him uh his character Darcy uh really dangerous especially in kind of the first half of the movie where the the band members only ever get to talk to him through the door of the green room that he presents himself as the voice of reason yes. and the one who is just trying to find a peaceable uh like equitable resolution to this horrible situation that they're all in and why won't they just meet him halfway when of course you know he's there with his uh with his booted skinheads uh ready to get them all stabbed as soon as they open the door well it, it works in that respect because it undercuts that idea i suppose of the the jackbooted idiot not neo-nazi the film could quite easily have gone down the route of these Nazis are, you know, they are meatheads and they are sort of killers. And the inclusion of that character, and even the inclusion of, um, I think it's Gabe, the um, the other employee there, who seems a little, a little more reluctant, that it really gives this kind of, not wishing to say a depth to that side, but it almost makes it more horrific because you don't know who to trust. It's interesting that that it's it's never shied away from that these guys are nazis mm. uh you know they've all got their their swastika and stormfront tattoos and, and all of that um and they they say a bunch of you know horrifically racist stuff but they're they're not motivated by that hate in their and in their their conflict with the band no. they're only motivated by the fact that the band have seen something that could implicate them in something and they're just trying to cover their tracks like you know like bad criminals um so it yeah it's it's interesting that it, it presents them in that monstrous way but that is not it, they're not motivated by hate in what they're doing to the band they're motivated by self-interest and self-preservation yes uh, but because they have that hate in them they are like they're the lengths they're willing to go to are greater i think it's it's for me it's also strange looking at this film back now from 2019 what four years later when we have in the real world seen the return of nazis and yeah. I, I remember watching this film and thinking like it was almost like hills have eyes a little bit and i kind of like well these aren't this, these places aren't real this isn't this isn't you know like something we deal with this is you know the the, the horror beneath the bed a thing lurking in the darkness and in this day and age where we are now it they aren't lurking in the darkness these people are marching on the streets and I think rewatching this film, which I did recently, like it adds a whole new level of 
not a terror to it that these people are no longer the boogeymen under the bed, but they are, they're out there. They're just people who you see. And yeah, it, it's a very different world to watch this movie now, I think. Yeah, I think the most chilling part in in that particular vein is how easily they manipulate the cops. Mm. Mm, yeah. Because uh, the band do very, like at the beginning, manage to get a call out to the cops saying that something bad's happened uh, and the cops do show up. But they're they're quite easily deflected by the Nazis. Is that as you say that it's that respectable face that uh, they, they can put yeah. on, which hides obviously their monstrous nature. In this case, a violent, but also the racist nature that they have inherently as neo Nazis. And you say violent, it is a super violent film. Super violent. <laughs> talking about talking about the monstrous pressure cooker thing, and the pressure cooker really does chew through a lot of the characters. Yes, <laughs> yes. There's a, 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 a scene, a, a set piece with a doorway. Oh. Good grief! I still can't watch that. And it's a piece of some dogs, yeah. which I, I to this day, I, I just they make, make my body cringe into a little ball sometimes thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, watch out for that one. Yeah, you could. The thing is that it signals that it's going to be horrible, and the the it's that tension as they're going towards opening the door that you know they shouldn't do. That is just it's very it's very well handled. Mm. I think a lot of these movies, which we'll see, we we'll discuss maybe in another movie coming up, the the idea of like um fake outs, the idea you up and then you sort of you release it wrong than in a scare you release it like a oh no it's, it's just it's just this it's not that this film doesn't do any of that like every ramp up ends in something horrific or action it, it, there's never that kind of moment of, oh no it's just just old mrs jones from next door knocking on the window it's always something yeah and there's never that um oh that that character that you thought you were dead that you thought was dead is back for a heroic rescue is that nope Mm. Not they're down. We do touch a little bit on spoilers in this in this show, but I do want to mention briefly on that point that almost the very last shot of the movie, um, in which our heroes are somewhat triumphant, but there's no triumph to them. It is literally it is survival. They are broken and beaten physically and mentally, and they just slump. Yeah. It's just the exhaustion of it. There's no heroic running in the sunset. There's no hero moment that we, we almost expect from these movies. We just have the moment of <sighs> it's done. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's been building up that tension for the entire movie. And then it just kind of, um, it only lets a very tiny little bit of it out. You don't mm. get a, you don't get catharsis from it at all. No, I think that's, that's one of its power. And it gives it, it gives it staying power that it has is that it doesn't give you that easy out that, uh, more mainstream versions of, of a similar story would. So what is the second movie of our, of our movie, Triple Bill? So our second monstrous pressure cooker is uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. There's been an attack. I'm not sure yet if it's chemical or nuclear. Where are we? Underneath my farmhouse. Hey. Sorry about that. What happened to your arm? Were you trying to escape? I was trying to get in. There's a woman. She wants me to let her in. You can't help her! You're going to get all the kills! What was that? Quiet. Which is a sequel of sorts to the found footage Cloverfield monster movie, um, but also not. Okay. <laughs> um, basically, as far as I'm aware, the story of this movie is that a screenplay was floating around in you know, in the, the blacklist or development hell or whatever you want to call it. Um, and J.J. Uh, Abrams's production company snapped it up on the condition that they could 
change the title and slap a Cloverfield label on it with the, I th- it seems like the intention to almost make Cloverfield like a Black Mirror style anthology sort of brand. Yes. Which is kind of interesting. I think they substantially rewrote the ending in order to, in order to, to slot it into that kind of stable as well. Um, so the, the vast majority of it was already written. I think the screen, screen original screenwriter, I think was Josh Campbell and it had a, a re- rewrite by, Damien Chazelle, among other people, of La La Land and um, Whiplash. Um, and yeah, released under Bad Robot. And it's it's a story of Michelle, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, um, who runs out on a relationship uh, and get, then gets run off the road, wakes up with uh, a bad leg in a uh, essentially a fallout bunker, uh, with John Goodman uh, playing Howard, who claims to have rescued her from a worldwide chemical attack or nuclear catastrophe of some description that he has been diligently prepping for for many, many years. Um, and so our pressure cooker in this instance is Howard's fallout bunker, uh, which he's stocked and made very, very homely, um, but it's still the 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 pressure here, uh, at least initially, is what Howard's deal is, mm-hmm. because it's very clear right from the beginning, just from John Goodman's performance, that he's a bit off uh, in a lot of ways. Having sort of com- comparing and contrasting to Green Room with this, it was interesting early on that his the monster wasn't clear. Like you had this, this sort of almost existential threat, the, the external threat of what's going on in the real world. Um, but his character, like sometimes, like is he just a bit awkward but really nice? You know, is he, is he a good guy who's who's sort of clearly been down here too long, or is he something monstrous? And I think they play with that a lot in the first act, and probably the first half. Yeah, I think that really works and builds that tension of just like something's going on here. I think like, the film. Even more than Green Room, it feels like the whole film's on this knife edge. You know something terrible's coming. Yeah, yeah, it really treads that balance for the whole thing. Um, and it's it, it's almost like I, I think what it does really well is portray the fact that um, it's it's very ambiguous about what his deal is, and maybe he is just a, a good Samaritan who happened to have a fallout shelter who has has done a, a nice rescue and. Or maybe he is, uh, maybe he is something more sinister. But the fact is, whichever one it is, Michelle has to err on the side of being suspicious just because of the situation that she's mm. in. Like it's, it wouldn't matter if he was good. She, she is still totally justified reacting with the suspicion that she does. It's important to, it's important for her to keep everything on edge. And I think that's why why the character of Emmett really works in this, because he's almost like a validating presence. Like he knows Howard from before the instant. And so he kind of he almost helps you relax a little bit. Cause, well he he knew him beforehand, he helped build the place. He know he he knows he isn't like some terrible you know, serial killer because he knows him. He, he has a real world reference. And because Emmett's character is so kind of laid back and easygoing and friendly, there's a feeling of like, well, actually, you know, if he trusts him, maybe I should trust him. Yeah, and I, th- I think you really need that third person in the mix as well to make it so that you, you can have scenes that almost turn into like family domesticity. Whereas if it was just, 
you know, um, mm. Howard, who you don't know what his deal is, and Michelle, who is suspicious. There's there's not a lot that you can kind of do dramatically with that. There's not a lot of places it can go. But with Emmett in the mix as well, there is a almost like a almost a feeling of like keeping it together for the kid. Yes, like yeah. he is he's very much the the child of their like weird family. Mm. Everything out there with him, there isn't there isn't any kind of guile. There isn't any kind of subtext with him. Like he is because of the nature of character, he's very open about stuff and he, you, you never get a feeling from him that he's hiding anything or he's even in sort of the character beats he hits and the things he opens up to about to the rest of the family as it were you never feel like he's hiding something or he's got some sort of agenda yeah uh, that's kind of important to have in there as all of the various different like mystery threads unfold because mm. there's the there's the dual mystery of uh what is up with Howard and also what is up with the outside world because all they all they really have uh, to go on is uh, the view outside of a very tiny window in the the front door um, and a skylight that Michelle finds later on um, so yeah they just have that very tiny view and what Howard tells them mm. uh, to go on and so you have the that that mystery as well and like you said it's all about is the is the threat outside or is the threat in here with us and i thought it was very interesting given that they, they do draw the line to cloverfield the original film uh, which was much more of a disaster movie that initially to start with, i thought well clearly the instant is is that that the instant he talks about is the first movie but then the uh, the character leslie turns up who kind of basically dies through some sort of exposure some sort of chemicals and you're kind of like well that clearly isn't Cloverfield movie that was just, that was just like a, a rampaging monster um, and it was very sort of for me particularly not knowing that they were doing this idea of like a spiritual sequel or doing like a, a sort of a, a black mirror style thing I was suddenly like well now I don't know because is he being insane because what I thought was going on in the real world I'm like it's just it's in New York isn't it bigger than that suddenly becomes weirder and I'm not sure what's going on yeah, I think it does that a few times throughout the movie, like um, sets up an expectation or kind of subverts an expectation that you that you may, that you could be forgiven for falling into, mm. um, and kind of pulls that rug out from underneath you. I want to talk a little bit briefly about the sort of the end section. So once again, guys, getting spoilers here for some of the end of the movie. Um, so feel to skip forward a little bit if you don't hear that. But obviously, at some point, she does get out of the cabin and you have this almost like genre flip in in the last sort of 20 minutes yeah which the first time i saw this movie in the cinema i just my face lit up and i had a i had a big grin on my face for the entire last sort of 15 20 minutes of the movie just almost just like applauding the movie for having pulled this off mm. on me at me <laughs> over me um yeah it it it's interesting that it it has this in common with Green Room that there is a sequence near the end where we get out of that pressure cooker yes. and we see we see what can happen then when all of that tension that's been built up with the characters being in that very confined environment what happens when they get to take that out into a into a wider environment I like the almost like the the undercutting of the triumph like I said in the last last movie like she gets out of this moment like yes relief she's free and she stands on the car and looks around and then you have this moment like oh maybe she's not free maybe something else and then you get in this so this sort of science fiction battle 
Um, but I really like that. I think for me, the, the power of this movie is her journey. It, it, it's, it's, it's how she goes from being the start. Michelle, like she has an argument with her, with a boyfriend and runs out and she avoids all conflict and she avoids all that. And she's sort of very, obviously scared of Howard, but she's very demure and doesn't sort of start fights with him. Um, and she runs. Yeah, and her, her instinct throughout the movie is to get out of the yes. bunker. It's always to run away and get away from whatever it is that's the threat. But at the end, A, she fights to survive, but then she has this the, the literal crossroads. She has a literal choice of going, does she want to go to Baton Rouge or does she want to go to Houston? And she chooses Houston. She chooses to go and fight. And for me, that that, that yeah, is the, she- the core on which this film sits, is is her character growth from the start to the end. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it's, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> I have nothing more to add to that, really. Uh, the only other thing I, I want to point out about this movie is the fact that kind of on the subject of pressure cookers and on the subject of kind of slightly weird domestic situations, that um, this movie uses the suggestion of playing Monopoly as a horror beat. Yes, yes. Which I really appreciate. <laughs> Because Monopoly is a game of horrors. I, I, I'm going to tell a small personal story about Monopoly for a second here. I, I like board games, and I like playing board games, but I'm not a very competitive person generally. So I have memories of a child of playing these games. About three years ago, with my family, my brother and my parents, we're playing Monopoly, and it comes out that as a child, I was the most ruthless player of this game ever. And so in return, uh, we play this game. I'm, I'm, I was 33, my brother's 30, my parents are in their 60s. The three of them ganged up on me to make sure I lost. Because apparently for our entire childhood, I would just viciously take them out of their knees playing Monopoly. Oh, no. I have no memory of this, but apparently, yeah. <laughs> One time we played the game tonight, Rob loses. That's the sort of thing that can really undermine your sense of self. Yeah, uh, I'm nicely good at that. And apparently board games as a child made me really like, yeah, I'm going to win this. Oh, wow. And then now imagine playing that in a, a Fallout bunker with somebody yes. that you're worried might be trying to kill you. Play an easygoing, relaxing game. Monopoly? So, Matt, rounding out our, our triplicate, what is the third film you're bringing to our triple bill? Okay, so we've had uh, we've had a naturalistic pressure cooker uh, where the monster was man, and we've had a slightly more science fictional pressure cooker with an actual monster, and now let's go full on sci-fi with Alien. Some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. We're only halfway there. Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. What? Yeah. She's programmed to do that should certain conditions arise. They have. Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. The original Alien, directed by Ridley Scott. Classic. Which I once heard described, uh, and this really stuck with me, as less a sci-fi movie and more a haunted house in space. Mm. So I don't know if I need to recap Alien, really. (laughs) I was was in two minds about putting it in the triple bill because I I don't know what I can say about it that hasn't already been said. Yes. Um, But I I think it's, it's still interesting to talk about kind of in the context of the other two. Uh, and what it has in common, and what maybe Cloverfield at least might have kind mm. of been inspired by. The thing that just suddenly lit up in my head right there is that it does, like the other two, include like a 
post-climax scene. Like it has the scene where she gets off the ship, she gets out of the scene, and then there's another scene on the um, shuttle. They all have that kind of end moment where you get out of uh, out of the cooker, but there's still yeah, danger. You get, yeah, you get out of the original uh, pressure cooker, but uh, it's a in all three of them, it's a bit of a frying pan fire situation. Mm. This one always reminds me very much of like uh, Das Boot and like the traditional sort of submarine film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With obviously with a, an alien killing machine. Um, but that kind of feeling of like the dark dankness of it, I think it's interesting. Like it, this, I feel there's a link, almost more of a link to something like Green Room, where the location is oppressive. Whereas like the, as it said with Ten Cloverfield Lane, it is a bunker, but it's a homely bunker. And like, there's there's a, there's a tension in in the sort of the cross play between a sort of more homely environment and um, the more tense Howard character as this. The environment itself is claustrophobic. It is Im- imposing and oppressive. Yeah, and, and now that you're saying that, I'm just realising that the kind of the only part of the environment that doesn't feel like that is. Um, the the chamber where you have to go to um, interface with mother the ship's computer, mm. which is much more clean and bright, and yet m- mother ends up being at least part of the the problem, <laughs> part yes. of the monstrousness. I mean, mother's very much that idea that the that the environment is antagonists, not made flesh but made real. Um, unlike Green Room and Tinkler, where they are obstacles to overcome, here it's actively working against them yeah mother mother is the the green room nazis she's just doing she's just trying to follow orders and do a job and Mm. the crew are just in the way they are expendable as it were yeah so it's interesting that there is almost like um the the corporate environment is part of the claustrophobia Mm. um because a, a lot of the a lot of the tension between characters when everybody is first woken up um, is about um, obviously nobody's happy to have been woken up before they get to the destination and when mm. they're just in a random bit of space. Uh, most of them are pretty reluctant to go down to a random alien planet where they unrisk their lives. But the the contracts they've all signed lock them into a certain course of action and, and you get a bit of the claustrophobia from that as well. I think there's also some value in the strength of these movies coming from the everyman nature of their protagonists. So you've got a, a punk band, you've got a a mid twenties woman, you've got a moaning crew. So these aren't these aren't uh, like I mean like aliens, which is obviously sequel is much more of a action movie. You've got similar sort of thing being trapped somewhere, but it, they are trained marines. They're trained for combat and food situations. Whereas here, even particularly an alien. The hero is not a combat person. They are not trained for this. They are not prepped for this. They are out of their depth from from the first second. Yeah, and I, so I rewatched Alien a couple of weeks ago for for the purposes of talking about it here, and I was struck by how much they they treat the once the alien is out and roaming the ship, and they know that it's dangerous. They treat it almost like a maintenance issue, mm. like they. They take it on as if it's kind of something wrong with the ship that they need to fix, uh, rather than in a, any kind of military way, because obviously that's not how they would. That's not how they would think, because they don't have that background. That's a good point, because it talks to about a bit about their the idea of coming up against the unknown and the unimpeded. 
So even like Green Room, like the punk, the band, the suddenly in a world they didn't under, expect, understand. Like they knew what Nazis were, but this this is something wholly unheard of, and they don't know how to deal with it. And the same here, like these are minors, and they come up against a xenomorph, and they can't actually deal with it because they can't get their head around that this thing would exist or be real. And if you want to look at something like uh, the um, Ten Cloverfield Lane, like there's a feeling of like, is this guy a bit, you know, a bit clingy, a bit insane? And then you get, oh no, actually, maybe he's a serial killer and maybe there's aliens. Um, yeah. And it's like, how do you, when you come up against like that moment, like I think about Fight Club, that moment when, you know, he realizes uh, the big twist and you have like a free fall moment, like, oh my God, everything. oh my God, and learning everything. And they have this moment in these movies where like, this is not anything like what I thought it was. It's it's worse than what I thought it was because up until now I haven't been reacting properly to what I thought was going on. I think actually, in the case of Alien, the point where that where that moment comes, that like oh we've been looking at this all wrong and we we really aren't equipped for this. That moment is when they realise that Ash has been working mm. against them the whole time, and that Ash is an android, and all Ash wants is to get the alien back to Wayland Utani, and they're all expendable. Um, that's when I think they realise that they're they're much more out of their depth than they realise because they can't even trust each other necessarily. Yeah. I think that's one of the the, the strengths of Alien is suddenly that that inclusion means like everything comes into question because he's been their ally through all of this, um, and suddenly like well I can't I can't trust anyone anymore. And the reveal of him being a cyborg is kind of like that that throws another span in all the works. I think. Um, also, it's it's interesting looking at all three movies in terms of um, when when that realization finally hits home, and they the characters realize we are totally out of our depth, um, we're totally out of our wheelhouse. Uh, all of our usual ways of reacting to a problem like this don't work. It's interesting what they kind of how they all react mm. because we have. Um, uh, Going back to Green Room, there is there's a turning point where Pat, the character played by Anton Yelchin, tells a story about paintball, um, and they realise that the way to handle this is where the Nazis have been being very reasonable and businesslike and treating this almost like a pest extermination that they mm. need to do. That the way to res- the way they can respond to that is by getting weird with it. Yes. And like putting on face paint and doing the whole role play thing and kind of playing into in uh, mythologizing themselves. Mm. Um, and similarly, Cloverfield Lane, uh, the the turning point is when Michelle realizes that she does have skills that she can actually use here, and she she makes herself a haz- hazmat suit out of a shower curtain. <laughs> and then I guess that that point in in Alien is I guess it's not when they go down the the vents uh, with the motion trackers because that's almost like that's the first plan mm. it's kind of a few a few plans later when it's a bit more panicky and it's just the blowing up the ship and getting the heck out of dodge is the the final idea i mean i, I would say with alien it's about ripley coming to terms with that she may be smarter than the alien yeah he is fast he's a clean machine he's can do all these things but she can outwit him and she can do things. I think that that is that, that, that's that's a, a sort of a, a through line for the, all of these movies is that these people who have set skills come up against a bad guy that their skills can't deal with, and then work out how their skills can. So that the punk man, you say the punk man, come across that their their way of doing things 
they're trying to deal with punk doesn't work and then they realize they can, they can embrace their, 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 their weird side and win <laughs> and michelle realizes her more sort of feminine and traditional clothes making skills suddenly can help her win and here ripley thinking well we, we i can't beat him because he's stronger than me but actually you know what i'm smarter than he is i'm resolute and i have a resolve you know she, she early on she shows a resolve to stick to the rules and to do things her way and that's her power at the end she uses that to win yeah no word of a lie. That film degree being good, good, good use. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this these three together. I, um, I really, I really enjoyed talking about. I'm a, I'm a fan of this genre, and I like the conceit that comes with putting it all in one place. Being an ex theatre kid myself, I, I do enjoy, I do enjoy them as, as a, uh, a model. Yeah, uh, I think the 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 other thing to say about them all um, on on that particular note is um, none of them really outstay their welcome either. There's not really any wasted footage mm. in in any of these three movies aliens probably the longest one i think but the the other two are, are really 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 tight uh tightly edited yeah I, I was i would probably recommend anyone who hasn't seen any of these films they are all absolutely worth seeing green is probably the least seen of of the four of three even of the three but it is probably my favorite of the three um so if you haven't seen them i, I urge you to check them out yeah me too seconded so, Matt, where can people find you if they want to check out more of you and what you do? Uh, so I am on uh, Twitter at MerelyMJ. Uh, I have a website, which is mattboothman.com. That's booth as in phone booth, man as in man, um, where you can find kind of all of my uh, day job work and my creative work. Um, and Merely Roleplayers, the uh, actual play RPG podcast I run, uh, you can find that on Twitter at Merely Roleplay. Merely role players is too long for a Twitter handle, um, or uh, just search for merely role players wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, maybe I would say, as as a, a long term fan of that show, if you want a good jumping in point for that, either start at the start or the Wild West season is my favourite to date. I think that is a brilliant one to jump in at. That one certainly gets dramatic and has a little bit of that pressure cooker feeling. It does. I think it is. Yeah, it is. There's work to this. Well, thank you for your time, Matt. And uh, guys, we'll see you back here for the next episode in a few weeks' time. Thank you very much.